of us. So let's pray and give thanks for Steve this morning. Father God, we thank you for Steve. We thank you for um, his place in this fellowship. We thank you for the mind that you've given him, alive with thought and reflection. And we thank you that by your spirit you've been preparing him to speak today um, with words of wisdom and words of comfort and words of challenge for our lives. So we pray, speak now through him by your spirit so that our journey towards you and the working out of your plans and purposes for us as a church and for our own lives may be furthered by what Steve brings this morning from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me grab your notes. It's pretty good fun. I'm easily pleased. I don't really get out much, actually, so that's why. Um, so thank you for that introduction, Matthew. Thank you, Ted, for reading that passage so eloquently and so well, because it's a, it's a live passage of the Bible. It's an actual history of things that have happened and taken place. It's not just meaningless verses put together. It's a story of a massive event in the history of the Jewish people, which as Christians, in some sense, are our forefathers. Um, it's an honour to be able to share my reflections with you today. It's amazing to see so many people, and it's a, it's a pleasure. And just, if you don't know me, my name's Steve. I'm just a, an ordinary member of the congregation who speaks from time to time. Um, but this is our second talk on the concept of front lines, in the sense that we're Christians, or people who... I know there are people... By the way, P.S. There are people here who I know aren't Christians, who are unsure, uh, and that's fine. So... If you're in that category, maybe you just listen to my words and see, see what you think of them. But I'm aware that this doesn't necessarily apply to, to everybody. But for the Christians among us, we go out there to our daily lives, and in some sense we're commissioned to speak about God, to further God's word, and to act as Christ would want us to. Um, so to get us in the mood for the frontline metaphor, I've got two images from the First World War at the front lines. On the left, there are some guys peering over the over the edge of some thing. Their death is presumably quite close. On the right-hand side, there are some, some guys in hats drinking cups of tea from a table with a nice tablecloth. They're probably the generals. And it's easy to look at these pictures and think that the people on the left have the more difficult front line. But we don't know what's going on for these people leading on the right-hand side. These people probably had the lives of hundreds or thousands of men in their command. They were making the decisions as to when to move and when to act. Weighty decisions. And in some sense, this is a good way of us understanding that no matter what our walk in life is, there's no sense of the most challenging one or the best one. We're all equal in God's eyes. We're all equally loved. And the radical message is that we're all equally important. And on your front line, wherever you go, you're called to act in a way that furthers Christ's word. And I wonder if this is something that you feel you could do better, you could do worse, never really thought about it. So today, essentially, we're going to be thinking about the concept of how we take ourselves to interact with other people. So, onto the talk itself. And we're thinking of ourselves as Christians in a, in a very non-Christian world. 
Um, there's a quote from the Bible here which says that we know we're children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Imagine that the world is spiritually at war. Uh, there's right versus wrong. There's good versus bad. There's God versus Satan, perhaps. Now, as Christians, the words of Jesus in the New Testament make it perfectly clear that we're all representatives of God in this battle. We're not woefully misguided representatives, as in the Crusades, or people today engaged in tit-for-tat aggression with some ancient enemy. Because we're called to be peaceful representatives. We're commissioned to love our enemies, if that's possible, and to make change through non-violent means and forgiveness. With the hands and feet of Christ, the Prince of Peace, and we must act as such. So to continue with the battle metaphor, we're all foot soldiers at the front lines of a hidden spiritual conflict. It's a broken world, I'm sure we can all agree, in which evil runs riot. Now this is fiery language. It's language I'm not particularly used to using myself. Maybe it's something that resonates with you completely or you feel a little bit uneasy with. But we could consider how it's relevant to our life and walk today because we're all needed by God to work out his plan. So as Jeremiah indicated in the passage that we read, God has plans for us. He wants us to prosper. He wants us to do well. He's going to look after us. Can you imagine that? The author of the universe is interested, is deeply interested in you right now, here today. Each of you sitting here, He's known you from before you were born right through to the end of your life. He'll be there with you, whether you know it or not. It's humbling to think that someone so powerful can be so concerned with each of us, so frail and in some sense unimportant. Well, it is wonderful stuff, but unfortunately God keeps most of the details of his plan from us. So the question to me seems to be this... How can we best serve God given our current situations in lives? And how should our faith in Christ reveal itself to others? Well, the answer, unfortunately, is there isn't a single answer. Because our situations are unique. Our skills are unique. Our personalities are unique. And our day-to-day lives vary so enormously and the people we meet are similarly diverse. In your walk, do you find yourself around people who are hostile to Christianity or simply hostile to everything? Do you meet plenty of sort of nice, good people who are firmly agnostic or atheist? Or maybe you meet plenty of people who call themselves Christians but somehow seem to be filled with judgment or resentment or hate even. The things that you do also vary so greatly. There are so many different people in the congregation who do so many different things. I was trying to sort of make a list, but it was impossible because it turned out that there was as many different things as there were people here. There's no two people who kind of do the same thing as far as I can work out. In this congregation, we have people covering all sorts of jobs from all sorts of walks of life. And yet somehow God's brought all of these diverse people together to sit in this room to be his kingdom There's such a huge diversity 
that it can be tempting to look at other people and imagine that they're better than you are or more important, or at least I do anyway. And I find it hard to believe sometimes that I have a special, unique role to play in this plan. But I have to admit from my study of the Bible that I do, and so do each of you. So I thought of an idea that if you imagine God's plan is a play, like Macbeth or something, sometimes it's comedy, sometimes it's not. But the thing is, you are in the cast list. You're there on the front page as a starring role. It's quite amazing. What a responsibility, but what an honour as well. But the problem with this play is that there are many acts and many scenes, and it can be hard enough to act our current role. Yet what do we do when our role suddenly changes? unexpectedly because we don't determine when the acts finish and the new acts begin now I don't like this change at all I find change very unsettling when things change it takes me a long time to recover and find my groove again so to speak and to be fair recently I which I mean last five years (laughs) it seems that things have been changing faster than I can manage to keep up with I'm trying to get myself used to my new situation, and then something dramatic happens, which means I'm thrust into another situation. I find this very unsettling. Um, And I'm easily unsettled. Part of the problem is is because I have a really dreadful memory, so it takes me time to remember what's going on. Also, I generate such vast amounts of chaos and disorder myself that I add to the problem of change, because I exude change all the time. I'm forever losing possessions, losing my keys, forgetting what day it is, forgetting my medicine, forgetting everything, forgetting to feed the children sometimes, as Maria's reminded me on occasions. Um, Social services, I'm a good dad, don't call. (laughs) But it is unsettling. And when I become unsettled, I become confused, as I almost did then. Now, too much confusion, to be back on the serious note, and I become overloaded. And when I get too much overload, then any number of negative emotions come into play for me. And I'm sure that's to paraphrase Don McLean in the song American Pie, Satan laughs with delight when I'm at this stage. Because when I'm in this negative, overloaded zone, I'll speak before I think, or I'll act before I think through the consequences. I'm also very easily wounded by a harsh word. I'm not defended against it. But also, similarly, I'll wound people equally easily because my guard is totally down. I wonder how much damage is caused by a careless word or a thoughtless action. It seems to me that it's relatively simple to be the hands and feet of Christ when everything is running smoothly, when we understand what's going on and we're in our comfort zone. It's much more difficult when things start to move out of control, when we get a bit too busy, when things are sort of getting on top of us. It becomes vastly more difficult to act on Christ's behalf in challenging situations when we're overwhelmed or perhaps which come as a surprise. And maybe the same is true for you. Do you ever act or speak before thinking things through properly? A careless word or action can't be undone an opportunity for kindness or for help might not repeat itself because who knows when there's going to be a big change 
Huge changes can happen at any time. Bereavement, unemployment, I've had to take early retirement, cancer, illness, depression, benefits cuts, increased mortgage payments, problems in the family. Any number of changes can suddenly happen to cause us to lose sight of Christ in our everyday life. But the wonderful thing about God, he is the great I am. He's eternal and unchanging. He's the thing that doesn't change for which I long for. And his love to us can't be broken or lost or withdrawn. His gift to us upon death cannot be taken from us. And he also gives us timeless guidance through the words in the Bible. And he's there for us if we choose to pray and seek Despite this amazing fact, it's surprisingly easy for us to focus primarily on the changes in our own lives first and and then put God in second. To truly take Christ to our front lines wherever we go, I believe, after thinking this through, that we need in any situation to focus primarily on Christ and then on the situation in hand. I feel that Turning to Christ needs to be an automatic response here. So the good response is to act as Christ teaches us. If you've ever seen the film Karate Kid, I haven't actually seen it, but there's a scene with wax on, wax off. Does anyone know this part? He's told to wax on, wax off, and he says, why am I doing this? And I presume that's so that when he becomes a fighter, he gets an instant response to fight. But he trains himself to get this instant response. Soldiers, when they go into battle, they train with all the routine things over and over again so that when they're in combat, they respond in the correct way without thinking. And I don't see that our faith should be any different. We don't just read the Bible and say, okay, that's fine, I'll never read it again. I think faith is something we have to work on. We have to practice, in some sense, our Christianity because it's so easy for us to lose sight. And... There are a few simple things that we can do. We can pray. I think going to church is actually quite important because if we miss church, or me anyway, I find that my sight is taken from the thing that I need most of all. And it's so easy to get caught up in life. I think we need to discuss our faith, to share our concerns, our our doubts, our worries. I think volunteering is also a wonderful way to keep our faith alive. Learning verses is another one. So that in times of trouble, you'll say Psalm, uh, which one is? The one about the stream. 23, that's the one. See, it's at my fingertips, ready for whenever I need it. (laughs) Uh, There's there's what would Jesus do, which is a common one today, but I think that's a really useful one. People think, what would Jesus do? And it guides them in that moment of, of action. But studying the Bible is also really very important. And by looking deeper into the Word of God, we find more and more insights into how God's Word can help us in our own lives. So, biblical inspiration. I'm not sure what your view of the Bible is. Is it something you you love as a book? Is it your favourite book? I'd be surprised if many people would honestly put their hand up to that. Um, but it should be, okay? Because it's full of amazing stories, amazing prayers, amazing insights, amazing histories to how things happened thousands of years ago. 
And one of them is described in this letter from Jeremiah. Um, because I didn't really know anything about Jeremiah before thinking about this topic, but I found out that he's extremely interesting. He lived in an amazing time in history where so many things were happening. It's all detailed in the end of the second book of Chronicles in the Bible. Um, But what I'd like to do is to describe the time and place in which Jeremiah lived and what he was talking about and what he did on his front line. And I'm hoping that as I do this, it will inspire you at your front lines. It will renew your faith a little and give you a feeling for a part of the Bible for which you may rarely tread. So Jeremiah lived the most amazing life through incredible times. He was born about 300 years after King Solomon. And sadly, during those years, the Jews had turned away from God. The rituals of Moses had been abandoned, and weak and corrupt kings might as well have thrown away the Ten Commandments. So as in Jewish history previously, idolatry, the worship of other gods, literally stone idols, had taken over again. People had put their faith in chunks of rock. And it was studied to such an extent that Baal is a very is a famous name in the Old Testament of, of a god who was worshipped, who wanted ritual burning of children as part of his sacrifice. Horrific. And yet this had become commonplace again in Judah. And in fact, the Temple of Solomon, devoted to God, had actually been used to store idols. People went into the Temple of Solomon to, to worship other gods. So it was a really bleak time for the children of God. And God was saddened and angry. And he called Jeremiah to be his prophet, a calling which Jeremiah reluctantly and nervously accepted because he knew that his life was going to be difficult. Preaching that society was wrong and there was a better way in which to live. But he took the bull by the horns and he preached, turn away from evil or be crushed. Well, there's a remarkable event where the king at the time was listening to Jeremiah and they decided to tidy out the treasure room in the temple and they found the law of Moses. They found the first parts of the first books of the Bible which they'd lost and forgotten about. They'd forgotten about Deuteronomy. That's one of the key things about which the Jews lived. So far had they slid. And the king read this book, became afraid and then began the process of crushing all the idols and removing them from the land. Sadly, foolish choices were made, and as Ted indicated, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came knocking, and he demanded that they give slaves and gold for not being attacked. One of the people who went initially was the prophet Daniel, who went as a young man and later took the baton from Jeremiah. So here we see an example of the continuity from Jeremiah. He preached God's word. It impacted Daniel, and then he took the baton. It was a terribly sad time, and eventually Jeremiah realised that Jerusalem would be killed, would be crushed. And he dictated this in the letter and sent it across to Babylon for reading. And I found it really exciting to read this historical part of the Bible. Because I also found it really amazing, because if you look at it carefully, it says, these are the words of God. This isn't some image. He didn't give him an image of some some beast with fanciful horns and feet of gold and copper, as often happens. These are the actual words of God. God is saying, this is what I want to happen. Now, I think when God says something, we ought to listen to what he says. And the most wonderful thing is that it says 
pray for your captors. Don't revolt. Serve them well. Can you imagine if you were taken from Jerusalem by force to the city of Babylon? Oops. Babylon was a mighty power, a mighty empire. Here's a couple of images of it. These are the hanging gardens of Babylon, which was one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. To have the wealth and power to be able to construct that sort of thing was unimaginable. And as a Jew taken to this place, imagine the fear and the terror of not knowing what would happen as you were marched across the bridge into the city. And then imagine hearing that there's a letter from Jeremiah containing God's word. What's he going to say? And then he says, pray for your captors. Imagine that. You've got essentially a life of imprisonment and this is what's happened. Now clearly, people were saying we should rebel. These were the false prophets that were talked about. But God's very clear. You're going to stay here for a long time. Make yourself comfy. And don't rebel. Be nice to your people who are in charge. Would you have been able to accept this advice if that had happened to you? I think I would have been so angry. Would you have been able to accept that you had a purpose and were part of some grand plan? Would you have praised God for this or would you have secretly cursed him a little bit for allowing this fate to befall you? Well, back to the present. It strikes me that we would do well to consider this story in relation to our own front lines. Oops, sorry. And the question that I'd like to take away with you today from this sermon and think about throughout the week perhaps is that what is your Babylon? What do I mean by this? Well, what I mean is what's holding you captive from what you want to happen or what you want to do? Is it a terrible illness or a difficult family situation? Are you being held captive by a crippling mortgage or mounting debt? Are you being held captive by a demanding God which prevents you from seeing your family? Have you got too many responsibilities that you simply cannot manage on your own? In some sense... We're all captive to something. We're slaves to sin, but we're also slaves to the really difficult world in which we live. But despite this, we need to make time for God and to put God first. Because we can't escape our planned fate. But we can escape the hold it has over our hearts. And sometimes we just have to trust that God has our best interests at heart. And somehow good will arise from a difficult situation. We have to trust that God has a clear purpose and that we must all play a role in this. It's not just any role, it's a useful and an important role. We might as well accept this fact here and now. So don't stop dreaming for change, but do have the wisdom to realise when a situation is for the long haul. Don't keep trying to escape your current situation with dreams of something different, if actually... You're supposed to be right here and right now, dealing with whatever you have to deal with. Pray, what do you want me to do, Lord, here and now? Pray, how can you use me, Lord, to bless others here and now? 
And Lord, give me the courage, the strength, the resources and the ability to do your will whilst I'm stranded in my own personal Babylon. Amen.